Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from Joseph Julian, who hails from Mount Vernon, Indiana. Joseph attends Wabash College, where he's a senior majoring in philosophy and minoring in political science. I had the pleasure of meeting with Joseph on a beautiful fall day on his campus, where we talked about a recent speech delivered to his community on the topic of queer history, past, present, and future. Alongside and amidst three fellow student leaders and alumni, Joseph shared from his heart, and in doing so, moved a community further along in the journey of inclusion and belonging. You can find the talk and speech on YouTube, and I have included the link to it in the show notes. I encourage you to go listen to it in its entirety. And remember that words make worlds. And I think these men left the world a little better place for the words they spoke in honor of LGBT History Month. Enjoy the lesson. I'm a senior philosophy major, political science minor from Mount Vernon, Indiana, and we are coming to you today from Wabash College in the Fine Arts Center. I've been fully virtual, I've been hybrid, and now we're fully back in person, um, mostly masks off for now. Okay. Um, so getting to do interpersonal connections again has been great. Seeing people has been wonderful, and so far the year's off to a good start. Good. And we're having this conversation in October, which is right. LGBT history It month. is. Congratulations on uh, on that and your contributions to it, which we're going to talk a little Thank bit you. about today. I know that's pretty significant here on this campus for a couple of reasons. I've actually had the opportunity through a mutual mentor that we both know, Rob Shook, to interact with the college and the campus over the course of almost a decade now. And I've seen and participated in, and had the honor of being part of the narrative of what is the LGBT movement here on campus. On September 30th, you participated in a multi-person chapel talk. Can you start off just by explaining to folks who may not know about Wabash College and its history, what is a chapel talk? Chapel talks are a long-standing tradition here stretching back almost 100 years. They are an all-campus address, and this year we've moved them to the chapel steps on the outside for pandemic reasons, but they're a chance for 
guest lecturers to come in, share a story, share something motivational, or for professors to do the same, or in this case, some um, students. And this particular chapel talk was pretty unique for a couple reasons. Usually, I think chapel talks have one person kind of address. Right. I've been in two chapel talks as a guest, which was uh, a great opportunity and great experience. In this case, I think there were four speakers. Is there that were. Right? Okay. Tell us a little bit about how that came together and how you uh, got to be one of those speakers. And obviously, it was a topic that was probably not a topic that's been talked a lot uh, at, at the campus, being the past, present, and future of queer history. Right. Um, not only just here at the college, but overall. So can you talk a little bit about how the chapel talk came together um, and how it came to be that the four people spoke and, and what they heard on September 30th? So this chapel talk has been a year in the making, actually. Um, our Gay-Straight Alliance here on campus called Shout um, asked for this. A student organizer um, got a few of us together to share of our experiences, and uh, I was very fortunate to be one of those. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how you prepared for this? I really think this talk wrote itself, honestly. Um, I felt the voices of my mentors speaking through me um, doing this, and once I agreed to do it, that was the agonizing part, was deciding whether or not I wanted to put myself out there. Um, did anyone really want to hear what I have to say? Um, once, once I made up my mind that yes, this was worth doing, and um, I had a few things worth saying, then um, it just flowed from there. And I'm, I'm very happy to say that um, the mentors to which I dedicated this talk um, have always been encouraging of me to share. I felt my mentors' voices speaking through me. The most difficult part was deciding whether I wanted to share. Uh, and once I had come to that decision, the rest followed naturally from that, I think. Um, and I'm very proud to say that I dedicated this talk to the mentors that helped move me to this point where I am comfortable sharing. So I came out to campus late in my freshman year. Mm -hmm. um, so that part had already been over with, that cat's out of the bag. But deciding whether or not I wanted to be one of the voices that people would remember hearing sure. LGBT History Month. You come into the chapel talk at about 11 minutes, 46 seconds in. Um, so if anybody wants to jump to that part, they can. Um, and I love the fact that you greeted the community and you thanked the community. And as you said, you dedicated your talk to a handful of heroes. And I think it's really important to restate that to a handful of heroes. And you said past, present, and future. I think it's really interesting that you named them heroes. And I'm curious when you said, like, this thing wrote itself, why choose the word heroes? So it describes people who are allies, people who are part of the gay community, and people who have been professors to me. Um, but I really think they're heroes in that they went above and beyond even what a mentor is supposed to be. I mean, these are people that took, a, took an interest in me and believed in me, and they saw me, as I've mentioned in my chapel talk, as who I could potentially be and not just who I was. And uh, I really think that is an act of heroism to not only be there for someone, but to be there for all of their potential achievements. I love the fact that you delineate mentor and then more, right? I yeah. think there's so much that people do in small heroic deeds that go unseen. And this is very much part of queer history and very much part of LGBT history is 
there's a lot of unseen and unappreciated things that happen as part of this. And I love that you also said um, you, you generously greeted them as family to you. So that's a term that not everybody knows a little bit about. Like my, my chosen family is a term that you use a few times in your speech. Can you elaborate on what that means to you? And maybe for those that don't know that term, unpack that a little bit for us. I see chosen family as additional family members. So they don't have to be blood relatives. Sometimes they can be. Mm -hmm. But um, when you come out or when you go through a big change in your life, sometimes you need people that aren't your blood relatives. Some, sometimes they're people that um, don't start off loving you unconditionally, but they grow to. And uh, they can see you in new ways. And they are so valuable. Um, I could not be where I am today without meeting these new people. And by virtue of them being not your relatives, that means you have to come out of your shell just to talk to them. Right. Um, and so how wonderful it is to be able to then develop such a close bond with them that you consider them on the level of trust and familiarity that you might your blood relatives. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, you know, for those that have not uh, looked into a lot of the history of the LGBT movement, I think there is a lot of um, a lot of stories that people may uncover around the power of chosen family, because many people were kicked out, many people were mm. cut off, many people were rejected, and in in many cases there were no other options than to find a chosen family because the the importance of community, but the importance of family. I mean, it, it's mm -hmm. you need it to sustain life, um, and so I think it's really important that even today people hear about the power of chosen family. Because yes, there are a lot of laws changing. There are a lot of rights being granted. There are a lot of advancements, but still, none of those things will take the place of the feeling of being loved unconditionally and being supported and in, 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 in the power of chosen family. So I appreciate you naming that in the speech and in the talk, um, because it's something that I think we forget sometimes. Those that helped us get to where we are, oftentimes it's chosen family. Um, a couple other things I, that really stood out to me in your talk. One was you quote St. Augustine, but it, it surprised me in a way because we're talking about LGBT and queer history, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this, the, the quote about um, St. Augustine um, can, do you remember the quote? I do. Can you, can you share it with the listeners a little bit? Because mm. it really struck me. Uh, so he said, a people is a multitude defined by the common objects of their love. And um, I didn't initially intend for this talk to be overtly religious, but it sort of became that way because um, in thinking about that, I thought, what a wonderful descriptor for what the LGBT community is and what it should be. Um, so... I also was raised in the Christian tradition, and um, I know what it feels like to be within a faith community and how strong those bonds can be, and also how agonizing it can be when those bonds are broken or when you feel that you have to leave a community like that. And so one of the things I wanted to do with that quote was to, to call people back in maybe a bit, to find a new faith community just as they can find a new chosen family. Uh, and I'm very fortunate to say that being a Presbyterian, uh, I'm in a church that is accepting of LGBTQ people, but I know that that's not always the case. Um, but I also want people to know that there are those faith communities out there, and you don't have to face that binary choice of, can I be gay or Christian? It can be a yes and. 
Yeah, I think it's 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 really powerful to think about to you as you said in in making statements it's about bringing people back in, right? It's about the bonds that have been broken reestablishing those uh, for the purpose of love. Um, mm. and and if 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 the common objects of love, how can that be a bad thing? Um and I think this is really interesting how it's playing out on an international level, a national level, a collegiate level, and a personal level. Um, do you think about those things as you as you read about these, as you talk about these? Because obviously, when you make a talk like this, people may turn to you and say, what are your thoughts on this? I'm just curious about that. I really recall Pope Francis once saying that communion is not a prize for the perfect. Uh, and that stuck with me because, I mean, just by virtue of what it is, it's one of the central sacraments and it is communion. Yes. And um, that is something that we preach a lot about as Christians, but we don't always practice. And so I, I do try to look out for articles like that and to try to keep one ear to the ground in terms of where the church is going, where faith is going for LGBT Christians. Um, because I think it is so important that we try to bridge that gap between uh, where we are and where we ought to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you also talked about in your, in your speech, I really like that you talked about the power of place and how it can shape you as a person. And you specifically talked about this community where we're seated, where we're seated today and sort of the hollowed walls of, of the college, right? Um, what does this place mean to you and this campus mean to you after giving that chapel talk? So we are almost in our 190th year here, um, and it is one of the few remaining all-male academic institutions of higher learning in the United States. Uh, but to me, this is family, and it always will be, because this is the place where I discovered how to come out on my own terms. Uh, coming out at home was very much something that organically happened, and then I was reacting to. But here, it was my choice, it was my call, and um, these people here were my friends from day one. Mm -hmm. um, they knew me as gay from the first time they met me, and that was very powerful, it was transformative. Um, to be introduced as someone's gay friend for the first time, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, <laughs> but just being able to be myself here fully from day one, uh, that's, in addition to just being the place where I've learned, that's what makes this place a place of growth. Yeah, and the concept of they know you, all of you, from day one is in some sense terrifying and then in some sense completely freeing. I love hearing stories about this where students say, this college campus is my tabula rasa, right? Is, is my opportunity to just have this beautiful clean slate and make whatever I want. Um, and, fr and frankly, bring out the best you. If that's not what college campuses are, are for, I, I, I don't know. Then I, why are we here? Why are we here, yeah. right? I would love to shift to, um, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit of the Thomas Merton quote that you mm. had in there. Um, this love is the resetting of a body of broken bones. Um, you, can, you can expound upon that and give us more of that, but I just felt like every cell in my body vibrated when you shared that quote. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about why that quote, it was mm. just so powerful to hear. 
Well, I've always appreciated when people of faith are honest. And sometimes hearing a quote like that does resonate really to the molecular level of you because this is someone from across decades telling you that it's going to hurt, but it's going to be okay. And even though I'm not Catholic, I'm not a monk, uh, I, I'm a young man um, just starting my career. I felt that really touch me because I've never, I've never thought that coming out was going to be easy. I never suffered under that delusion. But one thing that I've always wanted to hear from, from mentors, from spiritual figures, what have you, is that this pain is natural. This, what you're going through, is part of the human experience. And um, just as we know that love is a part of you, sometimes hurt is a part of you too, but that's okay. That it gets better, um, that even saints cannot live with saints on this earth without some anguish. That's reassuring that amidst it all, we're doing something right. And that is essentially what you're talking about and very much what Thomas Merton was talking about in the sense of the resetting of the body of broken bones. When cared for the right way, even a fracture, can, can heal itself. A broken heart can heal itself. And I'm curious from your standpoint, having given this talk, even thinking about before and after and during, how are we healing in the resetting of our bones when it comes to things like love, when it comes to things like being ourselves, when it comes to things like rights? Mm. So first of all, I think you're very wise to point out that talking about it is sometimes a part of the healing process. Um, for me, that healing process also looks like making little decisions to be that much more open. It's going for the hug instead of the handshake sometimes. It's taking the extra effort to reach out to someone to ask how they really are. Um, it's being more involved. It's not just doing the bare minimum. It's um, it's, it's putting yourself all the way out there. Um, and, and I think that's something that I've learned by example. Yeah, I think there was um, another thing that was in your, your talk that I really appreciated. You talked about how people ask often, how are you? And you said, I'm fine is not a sufficient answer to the question, how are you? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? For many people, that's their default answer. Um, but then when someone cares about you, you giving them your default answer really isn't a gesture of care in return. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm a believer in reciprocity, especially in, when it comes to those who take the time and effort to care for you. You should honor them with a response, um, whether that is, I'm great, actually, or I'm not. Uh, if someone cares for you, they're going to want to know. And it's a really difficult thing to not see yourself as burdening them with your answer. It's just as much a part of honesty to give a negative answer to that question as it is to give a positive one. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you use the word burden because um, to me, I mean, love is the holding of burdens between two people. And if you think about the, the truest expression of love, it's I will carry your suffering. 
I will carry your pain so that you have less pain and less suffering. And that allows you to see yourself in your full potential as you started, as we talked about in the very beginning. The power of somebody giving you the space, the grace to bloom, I mean, is, is in some vein the most profound demonstration of love. And I really like that, that you put that out there when you said, you know, I'm fine is not a sufficient answer to the question, how are you? And as we emerge from the pandemic, I think it's going to be really interesting as well. Like you said, you know, a handshake versus a hug. We're all having to sort of stumble back through these rituals. And I hope, and I've seen some, some you know, gestures where people don't start from a place of fear. And they don't default to, I'm fine. Um, I do think it is, it is important to reflect on where we've come from, but also not to let it take away our, our light. And I really appreciate that, that, that you said that. It made me think a lot about how often I answer that question. How are you? And with what fortitude, gratitude, and heart I answer the question, as opposed to answering it from the mind. So, and again, I might be paraphrasing here, but I wrote in my notes, when you see yourself not marked by the things you've lost, but by the things you could be. Mm. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think at some point you would mention that as part of um, your speech or as part of the the hope that lies within. So on reflection, I found that oftentimes I would go to I was statements when describing myself. And I didn't like that. I wanted that to change. I wanted to think about who I am more. And that required some introspection. That required some work. And uh, in sharing that, my hope is that anyone who, um, anyone who hears that takes that time to think about how they've changed. Um, because that reflection is heavy lifting. That's not easy work. It's, it requires you to really mark your progress as a person. I think it's tough in today's society and culture because we are often given value or deemed value based on what we have done. And I think one of the challenges is if we get too caught up in that, then we actually miss the moments that are present and we miss the potential that could be in the future. Um, because we get hijacked by the past. And so I really appreciate you saying, like, stop saying that I was and spend more time I am and I could be. Um, and I think what better time to do that as a senior in college, right, <laughs> as you go into this next phase. Um, and you also t mentioned, you know, the, the, this piece around um, history of drawing together not the things you've lost, but the multitudes of love that you found. That was one of the, those pieces that just stopped me in my tracks. <laughs> so, I mean, back to the earliest days of LGBT rights movements, uh, it's been people meeting. Um, they've found places they could call their own. And um, that still happens. It's um, a gay-straight alliance at a college, for example, or it could be um, LGBT men's volleyball team. Um, but it's all about finding spaces. And uh, I think it will continue to be that way. But as you mentioned, there is so much love out there in the world, but it sometimes isn't 
right in front of you. It's not intuitive how you're supposed to get from A to B, but um, the guideposts are definitely going to be um, those people that you look up to. Um, if you can see yourself in them, if you see their life and you think, in a way, that's the kind of life I want, um, if you emulate them, then you will draw together with people that reflect those values that you value. Absolutely. I love the image of guideposts. I love that. That again is about finding your path, but it's not the one path. It's about your path and it's about path making. So um, last question in our, in our discussion today, what are you excited for? What are you looking forward to? I mean, you're at this really interesting chasm in your life. Um, you're gonna graduate in the spring. Um, what are some things that you're looking forward to that you're excited about or maybe even apprehensive about, right? Let's, let's, let's be inclusive of all of the feelings. Sure. would love to hear that. It is my goal to one day be a professor. So that covers excited and apprehensive. Um, I am really looking forward to joining a different academic community to perhaps joining a bigger academic community as well, um, to get a greater mix of types of people. And um, I'm really excited to um, discover a direction for some research uh, myself one day. Um, I'd love to publish, I'd love to write, um, and I think all of that is ahead of me probably sooner than I ever imagined it would be, but um, excited, apprehensive, all at once, all of those things. And because I believe in sort of the power of intention and naming and speaking things into existence, are there any particular fields you're looking forward to doing, any schools you're looking at. Again, knowing all of this can change, but, but, but would love to hear if you've thought through any of that and, and, and maybe speak some of that into existence. <laughs> um, I'm looking to pursue a PhD in philosophy. And currently, I'm looking at University of Notre Dame or University of Chicago. I really appreciate the time and you sharing your story and this incredible speech um, that we will make sure that the show notes has. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Um, it's been an honor. It's my first podcast. Yeah. Um. <laughs>